Not I, but Christ. If you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew 24, 25. Let's go ahead and stick a finger over in Revelation chapter 6. This is week six in a mini-series that we started called The End Times According to Jesus. And I just want to kind of tie a bow on it today because we're coming up against the holiday season and I really wanted to get out of the apocalypse by Christmas. Ironically enough, that's the name of our Christmas cantata this year, Apocalypse by Christmas. It's going to be really good. (laughs) You're going to enjoy it immensely. I'm just kidding. Um, Every week through this series, I've tried to just remind you that there are some things that we study in God's Word that it's just not wise to be dogmatic on some of those things. And so I've prayed as we've gone through this series, because I know this kind of topic sometimes elicits different kinds of responses, but my prayer has been that we would approach this very humbly. Um, if, If our study of Scripture leads us to being argumentative or arrogant, then we're not studying the Scriptures right. That, that's not what should happen. And so my prayer is today, like every time we gather around God's word, that we wouldn't fill our hands today with arguments, but that today we would stand empty-handed before the throne of God. That we would stand empty-handed and awe-filled in his glorious presence today and be blown away by just how magnificent he really is today. That we would stand empty-handed before the one who in his hands, he holds a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And that's where we were last Sunday. And I wanna pick up there again in Revelation chapter six. Inside that scroll that Jesus is holding onto is God's final redemptive plan for this world. Inside that scroll is his final offers of salvation. Inside that scroll is his final judgments against sin. Inside that scroll, when he breaks those seven seals and fully opens up that scroll, that is the end of Satan. That's the end of sin. That's the end of death. Inside that scroll is the second coming of Jesus into our world. We are about to celebrate his first coming when he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But when he finishes breaking the seals on this scroll, he is coming for the second time, but this time not as a baby. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And we saw last week that this scroll that Jesus is holding is sealed up with those seven seals. And so what we did last week is we... We took Revelation chapter six, where he's breaking those seals open, and we laid it right next to Matthew chapter 24, and and they match up. And the reason they match up is Jesus in Matthew 24 is predicting exactly what he's gonna be doing in Revelation chapter six. Now, because we're still here, we know that there's at least 2,000 years that have come and gone between Matthew 24 and the second coming of Jesus. So Jesus is predicting in Matthew chapter 24 what he's going to be doing in Revelation chapter six. And so last week he started breaking those seals on that scroll. The first seal was peace, but it wasn't a real peace. It was fake, it was phony, it was at the hands of the Antichrist. The second seal he breaks is war. The third seal that he breaks is famine. The fourth seal that he breaks is death. And then we simply just laid those first eight verses, strangely enough, Revelation 6, 1 through 8, right next to Matthew 24, 1 through 8, and they matched up. And we see 
Jesus doing in Revelation what he's saying he's going to do in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, he's calling the shots. And he never misses. He never has. He never will. He never will. So Matthew 24 and 25 is like a miniature book of Revelation. That's really what it is. The book of Revelation is a view of the end times from heaven's perspective. Matthew 24, 25 is a view of the end times from earth's perspective. In Revelation, John's caught up to see it all from heaven. But in Matthew 24 and 25, it's Jesus who is on the earth with his disciples giving them earth's perspective. So I wanna pick up today right where we left off last week. Believe it or not, we're gonna do all two chapters here today before we get out of here, all right? So I hope you brought your lunch because we're gonna finish it out today because Christmas is coming, Thanksgiving is coming. We stopped last week just before we got to verse nine of Revelation six. We're on six nine there and we're on 24 nine over in Matthew. So get a finger in both those places and be ready to go. Let's look first at Revelation chapter six, verse nine. The Bible says, and when he opened the fifth seal, we saw him open the first four last week. Now where we are, I believe, kind of in the middle point of the tribulation here, he opens the fifth seal and he said, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Who are these people? These are people that have become followers of Jesus during the tribulation. There's gonna be many people, I believe, that are saved during these seven years. They will be saved at a great cost to themselves to their safety, maybe even to their own lives. They will suffer greatly because they will not bow to the Antichrist. They will bow before Jesus, trusting him to be their savior, but they will not bow before the Antichrist. Now, I want you to see, that's Revelation 6, beginning in verse 9. I want to lay that next to Matthew 24, verse 9, and tell me if it doesn't match. Matthew 24, 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It sounds exactly like Revelation chapter six, verse nine. Let's go on, verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So once again, Jesus is predicting in Matthew 24 what he's gonna be performing in Revelation chapter six. And the reason that he's telling us so many people are going to be saved during those years of the tribulation is because there's gonna be a great work of evangelizing the nations, of preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations. That takes us to the next thing Jesus says. Look at it in Matthew 24. The very next verse, Matthew 24, 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Remember, they've asked Jesus, how are we gonna know that you're about to come? Jesus said, when this gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. Well, listen, in some measure, that's happening right now. 
But that's gonna happen in its fullness during the time of the tribulation. Now does what Jesus say in Matthew 24, 14, does that match up with what we read about in the book of Revelation? It does. In the very next chapter, Revelation chapter seven, check it out. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. What did Jesus just say? The gospel's gonna be preached to all the nations. And Revelation seven says, there's this great number of people that nobody can count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, that's John, and he said to John, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Do you know what that means? That means what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations, then the end will come. That means that's gonna happen. You see, this great host of people that nobody can count from every tongue and tribe and nation, they've been saved. They're gathered now before the throne of God. They were saved out of the great tribulation. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you, read Revelation 6 and those five seals that Jesus breaks match up with everything that Jesus says in Matthew 24. Then he talks about the preaching of the gospel on a global scale, and that matches up with what happens in the book of Revelation. The next thing Jesus is gonna focus on in Matthew 24 is the middle, the midpoint of the tribulation. This global persecution that he's just talked about may begin in the first part of the tribulation, but at the midpoint, it takes off. I mean, it crescendos and continues to crescendo through the final part of the tribulation. This is what Jesus is speaking of, Matthew 24, 15. Next verse, Matthew 24, 15. He says, so when you see, he's talking to people who will be alive when these things are happening. So he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand what he's talking about here. Jesus just goes back 500 years to a prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave Daniel about the Antichrist coming and standing in the Jewish temple. Now, we went into detail about this a couple of weeks ago. Some of you weren't here. You didn't hear that. You're gonna have to go back and listen to it. I don't have time to go into all the detail of that, but I'll take you back to the text. Daniel chapter 9 Gabriel comes before Daniel and he's given him a prophecy about the Jewish people and he's given him a prophecy about the city of Jerusalem and he says to him, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. How many of you remember us doing this a few weeks ago? Ring a bell, a couple of y'all good? 
<laughs> 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build, build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant. We believe he's talking about the Antichrist there. He will make a strong covenant with many for one week. Or seven years. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That doesn't sound like it makes a whole lot of sense. Go back and listen to it from a few weeks ago, but here's what Jesus is doing. He's given incredible credibility, massive credibility, to the prophet from Daniel 500 years before the time of Jesus. He's telling the people, when you see the Antichrist show up in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, like Gabriel the angel told Daniel, then you ought to know where you are in the timeline of all these prophetic events. This is Jesus very specifically telling the people who are alive during the tribulation, here is how you're going to know where you are in the middle of all those things that are happening. So Jesus says when we get halfway into these seven years, the Antichrist is gonna do exactly what he, we were told by Daniel was gonna happen. And by the way, you can read Revelation 13 and it matches up to Daniel 9 and it matches up to Matthew 24. And when the Antichrist stands in the Jewish temple and he calls the world to worship him, we're already in those birth pains Jesus talked about, right? But up till that time, the birth pains weren't so bad, right? They, they were kind of spread apart by quite a bit of time. But when this Antichrist stands in the Jewish temple, those birth pains are going to take off like a shot to a whole nother level. The intensity and the frequency are gonna go up tremendously. And so what Jesus does next in verse 15 of Matthew 24 is he's giving a warning to the people who will be there when that happens, to the people who will be physically alive when there, there is that temple in Jerusalem that is built. And when the Antichrist is standing there calling the world to worship him, the birth pangs are going to take off. So Jesus gives this warning to people, Matthew 24, 15. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand, understand this. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The word flee there means to be a fugitive. Jesus just said, if you're hanging out around Jerusalem, when you see this happen, run as fast and as far as you can. Jesus is telling any saved people at that time, especially Jewish people, get out of there because the Antichrist under the power of Satan wants to eradicate all of the Jewish people from the face of the earth. Satan's been wanting to do that for a long time. I don't have to convince you today, he still wants to do that. If you're not 
paying attention to what's going on in the world right now. You need to pay attention. But we see anti-Semitism is, is on the rise. It's exploding. There's no, there's no shame in it even, it seems, anymore. Why? Because it's satanic. Satan wants to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. Because if he can do that, then he stops the plan of God. The plan of God to establish his kingdom, to, to, to bring Israel salvation, and, and to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. So Jesus is telling the Jewish people who may be around Jerusalem at the time of the Antichrist that when he shows up in that temple, get out of there as fast as you can. In fact, the prophet Zechariah says that when this happens, two-thirds of the Jewish people in and around Jerusalem are gonna be killed. So Jesus means business when he says flee, be a fugitive. It's gonna be so bad. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 17. He says, let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house, just run. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak, just go and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. You can tell he's talking to Jewish people here. That's the concern. He says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. This is going to be the worst violence that the world has ever seen. That's hard to imagine when we've seen some of the things that we've seen throughout history, but from Jesus' own lips, he says the world hasn't seen anything like this yet, and the world will never again see anything like this. All hell will be breaking loose. He goes on, verse 22, and says, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Nobody knows exactly for sure what he means by the days being cut short there. One theory is that because of the cosmic changes that will be happening, the sun will not be given as much light, stars will be falling from the sky, that there will be more darkness than there is daylight, perhaps providing protection and cover for these people who are on the run as fugitives. God will be protecting his people in some way, his elect, the Bible says there. And who are his elect, well, here it's talking to saved Jews and Gentile people, people that have not bowed down to the Antichrist during the tribulation. All of this is going to be a time of desperation and fear like the world has never seen. And in great times of desperation and fear, you know this, chaos and confusion can sweep over people. Jesus speaks to that next and Verse 23, Matthew 24, he says, so then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's out in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say to you, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. So then how are these people to know when the real Messiah shows up? How are they supposed to know the difference? He says this, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, he just said, you won't miss it. You will know that you know that you know when he comes. 
And he says in verse 28 something really weird. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. To help us better understand that, let me take you to the Revelation version of this. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, Jesus is doing what he just described in Matthew 24. Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Remember the Antichrist came on a white horse in Revelation 6, the breaking of the first seal. But this is the real Messiah coming, Revelation 19. The one sitting on it is called faithful. How many of you know Jesus to be faithful? He's, he's called faithful and he's called true. How many of you know Jesus to be true? He never changes from beginning to end. When he comes, he's coming back, faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, it's crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. I'm dying to know it though. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Okay, now the whole vulture thing makes some sense. What's going on? Jesus is describing his second coming in Matthew 24. And Revelation 19 spells it out. Now let's go back to where we left off in Matthew 24, verse 29. Jesus says next, immediately after the tribulation of those days, watch this, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I think Jesus just described in Matthew 24 what happens when he breaks the sixth seal. We hadn't got to the sixth seal yet, but I think he just described it. So let's look at the sixth seal, Revelation chapter six. Verse 12, see if this isn't what Jesus just said. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black. We just read that, as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. We just read that. As the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's the sixth seal. Again, Jesus is predicting in Matthew 24 everything he's gonna be performing in Revelation chapter six. The first seal, fake peace. Second seal, war. Third seal, famine. Fourth seal, death. There's the Antichrist. Fifth seal, the martyrs. Sixth seal, all these cosmic disturbances. And then there's the seventh seal. And I told you, Last week, when that seventh seal is broken, it ushers in seven trumpet judgments. And that seventh trumpet judgment issues in seven bowl judgments. Remember, those birth pangs now, we're at the end of this delivery. 
So when you get to the seventh seal being broken, some even think that all those things are happening so quickly that it's almost simultaneous between the seventh seal and the seven trumpets and the seven bold judgments. Now the contractions are happening fast and furious. You can't, you can't really breathe in between the contractions anymore, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? Gentlemen, you can't count anymore in between the contractions when you get to this place. Something significant is about to be birthed into this world, but this time it's not a baby. This time it's a king, not any king, but the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Back to Matthew 24, verse 30. Then Jesus says, these contractions are happening, everything's changing. He says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. That's the question they wanted to know. How are we gonna know? How are we gonna know when you're coming? Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man. He calls himself that. He's Jesus, the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I, I think here that this is referring to the people that have been saved during the time of the tribulation. He's gathering those in heaven and on earth all together. They're gonna come into the millennial kingdom. Some of those survived the tribulation. Some of those have lived and they're gonna enter into the kingdom that way. At the end of Revelation chapter six, we see the other side, the other group of people who weren't saved during the tribulation, yet they survived it. They're there, they're standing there alive. When Jesus comes back, here's what's gonna happen. Revelation chapter six, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So you have some people who survived the tribulation and they are glad when they see Jesus coming back. And you have another group of people who survived the tribulation and they wanna die when they see Jesus coming back. In 29 verses, in Matthew 24, in 29 verses, Jesus just gave us a clear overview of what's gonna be happening in the final days of this world before his second coming. It, it's not hard Bible study. Just read it. That's all we've done. We just put Matthew 24 and laid it right next to Revelation Chapter six, that's what Jesus has done for these 29 verses. He's answered the question his disciples asked him in verse three of Matthew 24. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And I think you gotta agree at least that Jesus did a pretty good job answering that question. They said, what's gonna be happening how are we gonna know we're in those end days? How do we know that you're about to come back? And he just, he just spelled it all out. Why? Because they asked him the question. So he took 29 verses to answer that. But I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of verses left in Matthew 24 and 25. Having answered their question, now for the remainder of Matthew 24, 25, Jesus is gonna ask a question. And that question is not just for those four men with him 
on the Mount of Olives that day, that question is for us as we sit here today. And that question is implicitly woven throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and it is the question of the day. In fact, it's the question of your life. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Follow me here. 29 verses, Jesus just took you through a future timeline of events. Now he's gonna pivot at verse 32, and he's gonna say, now that I have your attention, I wanna ask you some questions. Really just one question. Are you ready? Matthew 24, 32. He says, now. Obviously we're transitioning here, right? He says, now. We've been out in the future, and he goes, now. Lock in now, we're in the present, now. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, what do you know? You know summer's near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. Are you ready? He says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So are you ready? When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was gonna happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Are you ready? Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left Are you ready? Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. Are you ready? He says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Are you ready? Understand this, he says, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Are you ready? A faithful, sensible servant, he says, is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master's not coming back for a while? Chose to not be ready. And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, Jesus says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you ready? Verse chapter 25, then the kingdom of heaven, he says, will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. They weren't ready. Five were wise. 
The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. He's here, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Of course, because you're not ready. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day of my return. What's the question he's asking? Are you ready? Verse 14, again, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. If you have a master, you will give an account one day. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you ready? But the Son of Man, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. By the way, you can read this in Revelation also. And he'll separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Are you ready? And the king will say to those on his right, come. You are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. 
I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me to your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. See, are you ready? Now, now one day I want to come back and teach on those things a little bit more in depth. But just to tie up these six weeks, I just want to sum it all up for us. What, what we just heard Jesus say, I mean, he just spelled out the events that are going to happen before he comes. He did that in 29 verses. He took all the rest of it to say something else. He took all of the rest of it to say, because I'm coming back, it ought to affect the way you live your life in a deep way, in a profound way. He took 29 verses because he was concerned that we would know what to expect when those days come. But he took four times that amount to say to us, because I am coming, your life ought to be different. The way you live ought to be different. There should be in the hearts of his people a strong longing in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. There should be in our hearts a strong longing not merely to escape out of the mess that we're in but to impact the mess of this world with the message of Jesus. To live our lives while we wait on our king in such a way that the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion of the king is clearly put on display for the world to see. That it would cultivate within them a hunger and a thirst to know this king of ours. That it would cultivate in them a hunger and thirst to long for him to come back as you and I long for him to come back. See, when we know that Jesus is coming back, it ought to impact us in a big way. It ought to cause us to love one another more deeply. Jesus described the way people who know he's coming back live their life. They do beautiful things like clothing those who have none, like feeding those who are hungry, like caring for those that are forgotten and imprisoned. They do those things in part because they know 
He's coming. He's coming. And they want him to be pleased with what we did. Don't we want him to be pleased with what we do while we wait on him to come? Those who live in the light of his coming are like those wise servants. We wanna do the best things. We wanna do things that matter. We wanna build things that matter. We wanna say things that matter. We wanna write things that matter. We wanna invest in things that matter. When you long for the king to come, you're like those bridesmaids. You can't wait, so you do everything you can right now to make sure that everything's ready. You do everything that matters. You say what matters, you do what matters, you build what matters. You give yourself to that. You do the king's business, because you know he's coming. You don't wait for the king to come to do his business. You do it because you know he's coming. I was asked one time, why did y'all build that new place over there if you're so convinced Jesus is coming? We did all that precisely because we know he's coming. And now is the time that we get to do the king's business. It's not about building our business or building our brand or creating our following, but it's about building his kingdom while we wait for the king to come. And he is coming, and I'm asking you this morning, are you ready? And I don't just mean are you saved. That question certainly applies. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that today. But are you ready as a follower of Jesus for him to return? Are you doing the things that matter? Are you loving deeply? Are you building what matters? Are you writing what matters? Are you saying what matters? Are you focused on representing the king while you wait on him? Are we ready? God, make us ready today. We stand right now empty-handed before the throne and the one whose hand holds that scroll. And we're asking you, God, would you make us ready? We don't have to understand all the details of your coming. But you've told us enough that we know we need to be ready. So for those who need to trust Jesus today, God, I pray they would. And for those of us that already have, I pray that our lives would reflect it while we wait on you to come. 